Good morning. If you will, open your Bibles to John chapter 1. If you've been with us for some time now, you know that we are preaching through the book of John together and we've entitled the series, Believe and Live. It's certainly an applicable title to the content in John's gospel and we want to spend time there this morning. We've had the privilege of slowly walking through John's prologue, the first 18 verses. Today we arrive at verse 18, so the conclusion of that prologue. I want to read that verse, that one verse, with other verses in mind, but let's read John 1.18 together now. Grace Church, hear the word of the Lord. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Well, let's pray again briefly for the preaching of God's word. Father, we do pray that you would be gracious this morning, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. And Father, we pray that your gospel would come this morning, not simply with words, but as Tommy just prayed, with power with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most overwhelming and powerful sights that I've ever seen with my eyes is a place called Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe. Back in 1996, when I was in college, uh, I traveled with a group And uh, one of the things that we got to do on the side of mission work was to visit these falls. And in the midst of all the mission work and wonderful things that I saw there, nothing grabbed my attention quite the way that Victoria Falls grabbed my attention. To put this natural wonder in perspective, this waterfall is twice as high as the Niagara Falls at 354 feet high, and it's about 5,600 feet wide. That's 2,200 more than, again, Niagara Falls. So if you've ever visited Niagara Falls, which would be far more likely than visiting Victoria Falls, the two are barely comparable. The locals that live around the falls there in Zimbabwe call it the thundering mist because the roar of the crashing water, listen to this, can be heard from 25 miles away. And when the water falls into the basin some 350 feet below, it creates this plume of mist that rises back up, extending about 1,000 feet above the place from which it initially fell. It's an awesome sight. It's breathtaking. But my rather weak description of these falls that I just gave you could not possibly do justice to the actual sight of such an awesome wonder. In fact, even if you watched a live video in high definition picture and you had surround sound, say you're in an IMAX theater and you got to watch these falls from that vantage point, you would still be left with a drastically smaller view than if you had actually gone and seen, visited 
this marvel in person. Better still, if you could observe this awe-inspiring phenomenon from within the basement of this monster, to stand in the basin where this water fell and feel the bone-jarring effects of the descending water and hearing the deafening booms as the crashing waves of water collided with the rocks below. That would be a far superior experience than even my privilege of seeing it firsthand. So what's the point of me telling you all about Victoria Falls? To hear or read of God is one thing. To get a glimpse of his glory is something entirely different. But to experience a face-to-face encounter with God would be an overwhelmingly awful engulfment of the pure holiness, too infinitely powerful for any creature to survive. Well, The reason that I begin today's sermon like that is because I believe when John penned his gospel, he was certainly trying to catch our attention by what he wrote in verse 18. Today's text is only one verse long, but it's loaded with opportunity for glorious consideration. John 1.18, the first phrase says this, no one has seen God at any time. No one has seen God at any time. Now when John writes this, he certainly is drawing upon the previous verse where Jesus is compared and shown superior to Moses. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. But John wasn't just drawing upon a comparison between Jesus and Moses or the law versus grace and truth. But he was drawing attention to the reality that his hearers would certainly be aware of. That Moses, in his experience or his encounter with the glory of God, had not looked upon the face of God himself. God is a being which no man has ever seen, nor can see. He is invisible. I know we hadn't practiced our catechisms in quite a while, but I'm curious if any kid could answer this question. Who is God? Who is God? Is is there a student brave enough to raise their hand and answer that question? Who is God? All right, Carson, you'll have to say it loud, and if he doesn't say it loud enough, dad can repeat it for you. Who is God? God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. He's invisible. He can't be seen. The invisibility of God is both a wonderment and a kindness to us. It's a wonderment and a kindness to us. It's a kindness because if any man were to see God, he would die. He would cease to exist. Now I want to be careful how I say what I'm about to say next. So listen to my words carefully, and please listen to the full explanation that follows. Moses only 
saw the glory of God. Moses only saw the glory of God. Now, I don't want to downplay Moses' experience. When I say only saw the glory of God, I'm not saying that's a little thing. But what I am saying is he only saw the glory of God. Now, listen carefully to the exchange between God and Moses in Exodus chapter 33. It says this in verse 18. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. And you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And that's exactly what Moses' experience was like. Moses only saw the glory of God, and even that view was from behind. That glimpse of God's glory that Moses experienced, is worth, it's worth more than a thousand Victoria Falls. But let's be clear, he did not see God. He only saw his glory. Let's remember in similar fashion the prophet Isaiah. Perhaps your mind has already run there as we're talking about Moses' experience. He only gets a glimpse of the hem of God's, God's robe and cries out at the sight of that, I am ruined. These are not face-to-face encounters, but rather encounters with the glory of God. And this is the aim of John's words in the text We are meant to consider Moses, his glory of God experience, the the gift of the law that was given him. But we're meant to consider those things with Jesus in view. We're meant to consider the supremacy of Jesus when we are reminded that no one has ever seen the Father. So how exactly are we talking about the supremacy of Jesus by a phrase that says no one has seen God at any time? Well, the text gives us much insight into that. But I would say primarily that it is Jesus' ability to see the Father and withstand his presence and then explain him that would make him superior or supreme. The invisibility of God is mysterious and frightening. And it is this mystery that Jesus is uniquely equipped to explain. There are two reasons Jesus is fit to explain the invisible God to us. Look with me in John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father. Well, those are descriptions of Jesus. The description given of Jesus in this verse is wrought with infinite beauty and unique honor that distinguishes Jesus as superior 
in a host of ways and highlights the reasons that he's uniquely equipped to display the glory of God to humanity. See, those two distinctions can be summarized in one word, intimacy. Intimacy. There are two truths about Jesus stated in the verse. He is the only begotten of God, and he is in the bosom of the Father. And those two phrases have everything to do with the intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. The verse could read like this. No one has seen God at any time. Jesus has explained him. Because those two phrases that we're looking at there, they're a description of Jesus. No one has seen God at any time. Jesus has explained him. But it is these two descriptions of Jesus' relationship with the Father that make him uniquely able to reveal God to us. Listen to this verse in other English translations. I'm reading from the New American Standard this morning, but listen to the NIV. It says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The New Living Translation says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Or the ESV, no one has seen, excuse me, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Or the New King James Version, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. None of them say the same thing, but they're all trying to capture in English this deep intimacy that resides within the Trinity. Specifically in our text, the relationship between the Father and the Son. And a couple of the translations took the liberty to translate it, the only begotten Son of God. But the word Son is not in the Greek there. It's the only begotten of God. And of course, they're talking about Jesus, who is the Son. But I think the language that we find used there was intentional. The only begotten of God. Jesus is supreme because his relationship with the Father is intimately unmatched by any other creature in his relationship or her relationship with God. See, Jesus has a unique position. So if we're going to talk about the invisibility of God, that's one thing. But to talk about the intimacy that resides within God, we have to see that Jesus has a unique position. Jesus is the single, lone, sole, unrepeated, and unrepeatable, solitary, exclusive, one and only, begotten of God. There is no other. It's his place. It's his position. He is the eternally begotten son of God, and there will never be another. Jesus is preexistent, meaning he has existed for all eternity. He was not created. He is one with the Father. And those who would argue against a triune God and Jesus as God have not rightly considered the depths of John chapter 1 nor the rest of his gospel. Here we see that Jesus was not born of the Father but exists as the only begotten from the Father. 
the relationship that he shares with the father as a result of his position is unique and therefore makes him supreme in explaining the father than any other being. Jesus does not share that honor with someone else. He's relationally positioned to make the father known to us. But I want you to see the second way the intimacy of God is revealed. Not only in Jesus' unique position, but I want you to see that he has unparalleled proximity to the Father. He has a unique position, but he has unparalleled proximity. He's the only begotten of God, but then it says this, who is in the bosom of the Father. Jesus abides in the heart of the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. Their heart is one. Their mind is one. And though they are dis- distinct persons, their being is one. No person has ever been more intimately acquainted with the Father than Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. As a matter of fact, this whole gospel that John pins, we consistently see Jesus showing us, revealing to us his unity with the Father, this intimate relationship. John chapter 2, if we skip to the next chapter, Jesus was the fulfillment of, the, the disciples noticed that he was the fulfillment of, zeal for your house will consume me. That was Jesus. In John chapter 3, the Father loves the Son and has placed all things in his hands. In John chapter 4, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself unless he sees the Father doing it. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does. How about John 6, the next chapter? Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. That's Jesus. Or John chapter 7. You know me, Jesus says, and you know where I'm from. I have not come of my own accord, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. Or John chapter 8. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, because I am not alone. I am with the Father who sent me. Or chapter 9, if this man were not from God, he could not do such a thing. The observers noticed. Or John chapter 10, when Jesus says, I and the Father are one. John chapter 11, Jesus replied, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? John chapter 12, then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me alone but in the one who sent me, and whoever sees me, sees the one who sent me. John chapter 13, John said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. Chapter 14, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, verse 7, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
John 15, as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. John chapter 16, I came from the Father and entered the world. In turn, I will leave the world and go to the Father. Chapter 17, his great prayer, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. John chapter 18, after Judas betrays Jesus and the soldiers and the Pharisees come to arrest him, they call out, where is Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth?" And Jesus' response, his proclamation was, I am he, which was certainly a reference to the Old Testament glory of God, the great I am. And until Jesus' death in John chapter 19, We see continually over and over in John's gospel, Jesus revealing to those around him his unparalleled relational proximity to Jesus, excuse me, to the Father. The supremacy of Christ is clear in his intimate relationship with the Father, being unique in position, the only begotten Son, and unparalleled in proximity in the bosom of the Father. But why is this so important to the prologue of John's gospel? Why? Why is his unique position and his unparalleled proximity, why does that even matter? Simply put, Jesus is uniquely qualified to reveal to us who God is. Well, I wanted you to see this morning not just the invisibility of God and the significance of that or the intimacy that resides within the triune God, But I want you to see Jesus' interpretation of God. John chapter 1 verse 18 says, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father. Listen to these last four words. He has explained him. Jesus came to explain the Father to us. It's why he came. It's why he humbled himself. It's why he took on flesh. It's why he walked among and lived among creatures he created. It's why he dealt with suffering. It's why he preached truth in the face of opposition. Because he came to explain the Father to us. The word explain here literally means exegetes. Jesus is the exegesis of God. The word is also used to mean to tell a narrative. D.A. Carson says, Jesus is the narration of God. I hope you're seeing the connections that are made throughout the prologue. I hope your mind is jumping back to verse 1 where Jesus says, where God says about Jesus, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He's the Word. He's the spoken Word that Tommy talked about in Hebrews chapter 1 as he read verses 1 through 5 this morning. Jesus is referred to as the Word certainly ties into the exegete's language that we see in verse 18, meaning Jesus is the spoken word to us. He is the explanation of God to us. Jesus' life, 
and words that we find contained in Scripture are all that is necessary for us to know God. You want to know God? Open up this word about him. Look at Jesus. Read those four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then read them again. And look at Jesus again. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. Every word spoken by Jesus and recorded in Scripture, every parable taught, every relational exchange, every gentle rebuke, every gracious forgiveness extended is a revelation of God to us. Jesus' humility to the point of death is God's love revealed. And we may be confident that God is as Christ has revealed him. You don't have to wonder what God is like. We have all that is necessary for us to know and believe found right here in God's word. If John's assertion is true that Jesus perfectly exegetes, explains, reveals, makes known to us who God is, then the Jesus revealed in John 1 is a glorious revelation of God the Father. So that when we look back at Old Testament accounts like Moses, where the glory of God passes away, passes by, and he's shielded in the cleft of the rock covered by God's hand. Or, Mo, excuse me, Isaiah gets that glimpse of the train of his robe, and we're in awe. We're mesmerized as we read those accounts. Listen to me, dear saints. We have Jesus in the New Testament that is far more glorious than anything Moses saw in his day or Isaiah experienced in that moment. We have Jesus, the revelation of God for us. According to John 1, Jesus is the Word of God, the Creator, the life of men, the light of men. He is Jehovah's Witness. He is the incarnate tabernacle, God with us. He is, as Jordan preached a few weeks back, the high and exalted one, full of grace and truth, the only begotten of God. So why is this revelation of the Father so essential to our knowledge? Why is John wrapping up his prologue, which I believe in climactic fashion, with the phrase, he has explained him? Well, it's simple. And I think our application is simple with it. See, Jesus has broken the barrier that made it impossible for human beings to see God and has made him known. Jesus has broken the barrier that has made it impossible for human beings to see God. See, Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And guess what? We're an unholy people. We're corrupt. We're wicked to the core. We are totally depraved. But by the grace of God, while we were still enemies, Christ condescends and dies for us. He is crucified on the cross. His blood being shed pays the price for our sins. He's dead and buried, and when he rises again, he proves that he has victory over sin and death. 
and the Bible says that we too can be raised to walk in newness of life. We can be given a new life so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see the unholiness that we were, but he sees the very righteousness of his son. Jesus has broken the barrier that made it impossible for humans to see God. John 20, 31, which Rick Rick preached at the beginning of the series. But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's one. The Son of God. That's two. And that believing you may have life in his name. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, listen to this verse. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. So I said there's only this simple little piece of application to John 1.18. When we read, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Jesus has revealed God to us. So here's your application. Look to Christ, and then do what our sermon series says. Believe and live. Let's pray. Father, you are far too wonderful for us. You are majestic. You're glorious in your splendor. You're almighty. You're full of power. You are transcendent. You are holy. We can't look upon you. But praise praise be to God. You sent your son Jesus to explain who you are. That you're a God of grace and mercy and love. And that if we'll just look upon Christ, him crucified and resurrected, if we'll look at Christ, we'll see your love. We'll believe. And Father, your word says, and be saved. So, Father, we pray this morning. Father, we pray. I pray this morning for the saints who are in the room. Father, I pray that they would look upon Christ again and worship you. Worship the Father in all his glory. Praise you that you have been revealed. Father, I also pray for those in this room who may have never put their faith in you. They've heard of you a thousand times, but they've never trusted you. They've never looked at Christ and seen the glory of God. Father, I pray that they would look to Christ this morning. They would believe and live. Father, we pray for your salvation. And we ask that you do these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.